It's a jungle out there in the world of enterprise technology. That's why we launched Guerrilla Guides, short books that help you navigate the technology landscape. Now we're diving even deeper in our new podcast series, Inside the Guide, where you'll get to hear directly from leaders creating the future of tech. I'm James Green, partner at Actual Tech Media, and I'll be your host. This is the first in a three-part series looking at the impact of Kubernetes on the way we do business. In this episode, we're diving into Kubernetes at the edge, specifically in 5G and telco infrastructures, with the co-founder and CTO of Platform 9 Systems, Rupak Parekh. Welcome to the show. Now let's go Inside the Guide. Well, folks, welcome to the inaugural episode of the inaugural series of the Inside the Guide podcast. I'm really excited to start this with a conversation, uh, or a series of conversations rather, about how Kubernetes specifically is impacting businesses. And I'm going to bring on a series of guests from our partner, Platform9, who specializes in this area, to talk about the way that the technology and the operational impact of Kubernetes is changing business. And so in the first part of the conversation, in this episode, my guest is going to be Rupak, who I'm going to have introduce himself in just a minute. I'm James Green, partner and VP for content at Actual Tech Media. I'm going to be your host on Inside the Guide, where we're going to take the concepts from recently published Guerrilla Guides and dive deeper into those topics and kind of expand the ideas even further with experts in that area. So before we get started on today's topic, Rupak, would you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. James, thanks for having me. My name is Rupak Parekh. I'm one of the founders as well as CTO at Platform 9. Uh, at Platform 9, we do Kubernetes as a service. We have specific solutions for telco, specifically 5G. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So just by way of framing where you're coming from and where Platform 9 comes from, I'd like to learn and let the audience learn a little bit about yourself and about Platform 9 before we get started. So maybe just real briefly, what is your background and what else have you done in your career? Me and my co-founders, Suresh, Madhura, Bick, Bickley, all four of us uh, were at VMware prior to Platform 9, working on various infrastructure projects, starting from hypervisor to management layer, off hypervisors, with the cloud, vCloud director, and a bunch of other products. So that's really the background that we started with. And we wanted to solve the problem of really delivering the cloud, the private cloud to be specific, to our customers who we saw struggling to deploy and manage these really complicated systems by themselves. So Platform 9 started with a goal to really simplify that. And when we started, we started with virtualization in 2013 as the first problem to solve. And over the years, we have obviously added containers, uh, specifically with the rise of Kubernetes. We are one of the major vendors in this area now. And uh, as the industry has shifted from virtual machines to more cloud native, specifically with containers, we are working with that trend. Just as an aside, something that is so fun for me right now, like in the last couple of years here is I made some major leaps in my career practicing in the VMware ecosystem and was working very closely with VMware. And 
there were a lot of companies around the same time who sort of some very important contributors at VMware said, hey, we see another sort of tertiary problem or something, maybe not even tertiary, but big need coming a ways down the road. We're going to jump out and solve this. And so there's all these startups that came uh, from people who were at companies like VMware or, you know, Dell EMC or wherever else. And now they're at maturity, like Platform 9 is, creating their own sorts of ecosystems. And those are the people that I'm speaking with today. And it's, it's super fun for me. Well, as you mentioned, Platform 9 has some customers working in the 5G space. And the technology that Platform 9 provides has some unique things to offer there. And we're going to talk about that later. I think for a lot of the audience of this show, the idea of 5G is still solidifying from a delivery standpoint. I think most of the audience will know what it is, why it matters, maybe some of the benefits that it's supposed to offer. When it comes down to actually delivering infrastructure for 5G or creating applications that take advantage of the promise of 5G, for some folks that may still be solidifying. For some folks, they may be right in the thick of it, trying to do it, and they're running up against the hard problems. And so that's some of the stuff I want to talk about today, because you're speaking with customers who are, are right there and you're helping them get through it. So let's start by talking about just 5G broadly. Would you explain for folks the shift that 5G is creating in the way that they do business or deliver services? Yeah. If you look at the communication systems, maybe 15 years ago, we started with 3G and iPhone, obviously, it has changed, created a new industry with the bandwidth and obviously the smartphones uh, with Ubers and Airbnbs of the world. 5G is the next level of transition. So if you think about how 3G and 4G made it possible for everyone to have a computer in their hand, with 5G, we are talking about every device on the planet connected to the network. And that's really the big promise of it. And to make it happen, you need high bandwidth, low latency, and more reliability and coverage at every place. So that's really what's going to change how we work, how we connect, and what we see in our, uh, in our ecosystem. So starting from cameras, your door ring bell, to sensors in your gas pipeline, to uh, sensors on windmills, and everywhere around us. That connectivity that 5G will bring will change the experience that we have as consumers, but also how industries operate. Yeah, so it's so applicable so broadly, it's hard to wrap your head around just how much this touches. And it's, yeah, consumer IoT to industrial IoT to, as you're saying, everywhere, everything is going to need to be connected somehow. Obviously, this poses some really interesting challenges for the telco providers who need to transfer this traffic around the world and connect the endpoints with the services and that kind of thing. I want to dig into that in a minute, but can you describe, especially for those telco providers, what are the new things that they're going to deliver or the new, the new capabilities for their customers because of 5G? Well, we are already starting to see that. 
I recently got a paper in the email which says, hey, do you want to go with T-Mobile broadband or uh, Verizon broadband? And guess what? They're all powered by 5G. So that's just the start of it. But then for industry, specifically for enterprises, they are going to offer that bandwidth to those customers. Remember in old days, you used to have offices connect to your data centers via lease lines. Now you can do that via this 5G wireless link. So you can have folks working in remote places and still connected via high bandwidth, low latency to their work. And that's phenomenal. So that's one part of it from the workforce. But also going back to the IoT devices, you can imagine how you can have devices connected in your retail stores or if you are enterprise operating a factory your whole factory layout can have sensors at various places which are connected to this network, which is uber present, which is much better than Wi-Fi and much easier to install than all the cables running around. So that's the power of 5G that you will start seeing. And with that, these telco operators have this new opportunity to sell into these markets, not only consumers, but also enterprise giving them private bandwidth or rather private 5G for their own consumption, as well as network connectivity for all these sensors and devices. And on the media side, uh, we are talking about more immersive experience with AR, VR kind of use cases. So let's just contrast what you're talking about with 4G. Over the last, say, decade, what we've seen is I could take a 4G hotspot and turn up kind of a an edge location most anywhere in the US. Let's just take the US for example and have decent connectivity. As a matter of fact, I in 2018 did the uh, digital nomad thing and basically worked on the road for 6 months with a 4G hotspot and I had video calls, I recorded podcasts. It was a rolling office. And you know what we've done with that is allow you to connect up devices with, you know, if I've got great coverage, maybe it's 20, 30 megs per second bandwidth, couple hundred milliseconds latency. When you're talking about 5G and you say high bandwidth, low latency connections, what does that mean in the context of 5G? It can be an order of magnitude better. So about a gig and latency is down by 10 times. And that is huge. Yeah, huge. So, you know, if, if we're talking about a branch office, say, or you mentioned re- retail stores or something like that, you imagine that rather than having to find a carrier who can get you connected up with the specs that you want because they've got lines into that particular, you know, real estate development or what, I mean, it's a big chore. Essentially, you can turn up this 5G connection and have a high performance extension of your local network just about because the bandwidth is so high, the latency is so low, it's just another arm of your corporate network. And so the enterprise market is close to my heart. I've done a lot of work there. This is a big transformation, big change in in what is possible for them. And telcos can do more interesting things with it. It's not just the public network, which is getting better, but they can offer reservations and say, you know what, I can give you as an enterprise this bandwidth, 
which would be reserved for only your branch office in my network. And, and, and that is huge. I suppose there's probably some possibilities for the telco in terms of the way that they build their network as well that open up just because of the nature of 5G, where geography or you know some, some constraint of the prior generation of networks did not allow them to serve this area or to serve it well. 5G sort of overcomes that in some cases, I would think. So one of the big things that 5G is bringing to the table is really what the concept of slicing or what they call as network slicing, which actually assumes that the network is going to be multi-tenant. And we have known multi-tenancy in cloud, but essentially think about taking the same concept and applying to a network. So now this particular network is available to serve many different folks who are actually separated logically, even though the physical medium is the same. And so that's one of the big things that 5G is going to bring to the to, to, to the table. So one of the things that I've come to learn, and this sort of has a, a jaded sound to it, but when we have one massive technological breakthrough, uh, especially when it comes to infrastructure, we talk about it like it's this silver bullet and everything's going to be easy from here on out. And, you know, the reality of it is it just moves the bottleneck somewhere else, you know? When storage becomes screaming fast, so fast that you can run whatever on it, it doesn't matter. Well, now the network is your bottleneck. There's there's a million examples like that. So when 5G comes along and offers incredible bandwidth and low latency connectivity that, that we could barely dream of a few years ago, my suspicion is that just moves the bottleneck somewhere else. And now we have a new problem. Is that true? And if so, what's the new problem or problems? Well... The physical distances are not changing as much. So my house is where it is when there was 4G. It's still there when we have 5G. What's changing is things are coming closer to me, which means some of the computation that was done about 100 milliseconds further away from me, that's actually coming closer to me, about, about 20 milliseconds away from me. So what's going to happen is and this is where a lot of investment from, from operators are, is, is going to take place, where they are going to push a lot of compute towards the edge. And when they do it, then you have this opportunity to do connections between you and me. If you are not that far away, just short circuit it with the, with the closest route that we have in between us, rather than going all the way to cloud and, and coming back. So those are the kinds of trade-offs that we will have to do. It would also mean that people and companies who want to give their users that experience and really use this compute which is closer to the edge, they have to program to it. They have to write software to move to it. There is a whole concept about multi-access edge computing, MEC as it calls, which moves the compute closer to you as a user. There will be new systems which we'll have to build. There will be new management paradigm that we have to come up with to make sure these applications can take advantage of that. Help me paint a clearer visual picture of what that new architecture looks like. When you say that the compute is going to be closer to me, what you're contrasting that to is, you know, it's running in one of any number of AWS data centers or Azure data centers, or and that's a ways away. When you say it's going to be closer to me, do you mean like in my city, on my block, in my garage? 
it may be in a high-rise building, maybe five kilometers away or three miles away from you. So that's what it would mean. And it won't be all of it. It would be some of it. So for example, if there are two users who are uh, using a, let's say, AR, VR system to look at a particular architecture of a building. So that compute can be closer a few miles away from you rather than in a data center, which is maybe 100 miles away from you. So that's what we are talking about. And that's what gives that immersive experience. Yeah, so when we've eliminated the challenge of bandwidth specifically, there's still a significant difference between, say, 50 milliseconds of latency and one. And for the user experience, that really matters. And so when we can move data from even geographically, it makes a big difference. We can move it from a couple hundred miles away to 10 miles away. The laws of physics haven't changed. That still matters and makes an impact on usability, right? Yep. The other thing is a lot of the applications that you're talking about, there is a data gravity issue where AR, VR being a very good one, a rich AR, VR rendering is a significant amount of data. And if that data lives in a data center in Oregon, my user experience is going to be quite different than if it lives in, you know, the office building across the street, right? Yeah, specifically if you're talking about rendering, which which is very compute intensive, and uh, the latency can play a huge role in your experience. Yeah. So before we move on, maybe just to put a bow on the five G piece altogether, what does a typical five G infrastructure today look like at significant scale? So 5G is a combination of various technologies. So starting from your obviously phones and the devices which need to be 5G enabled, going on to the actual radio. So you might have seen radio new net. You will probably see a lot more radio towers coming up around your place. And then you have the actual radio access network, which is part of the 5G, which is, as I said, maybe a few miles away from where you are. So that's really the first step of the network. From that, you may have a regional data center, maybe in the city where you're living. So you have a small data center where the packets are processed and then get to the internet. And then at the end of it are the actual systems for your billing and quality monitoring and so on and so forth. So it's a series of different systems that makes a 5G. And each one of them, is a set of components that run in really what we call as off-the-shelf compute or COTS. And that's one of the big changes that's happening in, in, in 5G, where instead of the proprietary systems that, that used to have there, now they are running into your x86 servers that you can buy from wherever or whatever vendor you want, and then plug it in, put the software in, put the right hardware cards in, and and then you're ready to go. Yeah, so this might not be a perfect analogy, but what I thought of as you were describing that is it's a little bit like the way that we have shifted from designing these monolithic applications to a microservices architecture where everything is kind of, you know, small and decoupled. The A similar sort of thing is happening to the network instead of this one, you know, monolithic endpoint there's all these little ones sprinkled all around. Yeah, you spoke about how 
you were working with the VMware ecosystem. And it's interesting how the industry evolved. So 20 years back, everything was uh, these proprietary ASIC-based systems, which were manufactured by each one of the vendors. And then when virtualization came along with VMware, obviously, and other open source uh, solutions, uh, enterprise moved to virtualization and then 5G moved to everything virtual. You might have heard about VNFs and that's what happened. And now in the last few years, everything is moving into what we call as cloud native or working with containers. And then all the 5G components that we're talking about, all the software components, they are following the same paradigm. And now instead of those three or four services, now you have 30 odd services in one place that you need to run to make the 5G, 5G work. It has other advantages. You can scale one up and down as you want. You can bring one down without affecting others. So there are many, many advantages to it, but the system is a lot more complicated, a lot more compute intensive as well. Yeah, and so to build an infrastructure in this new way, we have to approach it from kind of a different angle. And so I mentioned that the big theme that we're going to carry across this series is how Kubernetes is impacting business and the way that we deliver technology. The punchline is that is a mechanism for helping deliver the vision that we're talking about right now. And we've got a lot deeper to go into that. But can you talk a little bit about how folks are using Kubernetes to deliver the type of infrastructure that you just described? So if you look at, um, and folks who have studied the 3GPP standard, as I mentioned, each one of those components, if you call it 5G core or 5G RAN, they're a bundle of services. That's how it is described. At the end of the day, you can deploy services however you want, but with the promise of containers specifically, where containers can hide the infrastructure, so you can run on bare metal servers, or if you want, you can run it in public clouds as well for some workloads, or you can run on virtual machines. That's the promise of containers. And we have seen that promise really taken off in the enterprises where people are taking their applications running on VMware virtual machines or OpenStack virtual machines and on-premises and then moving to cloud. So that's what it gives you. And Kubernetes is essentially the forefront of that. With microservices, it's not as if you have to maintain one machine where everything is a monolith that you can shut down and, and you're done. Today's application and 5G applications are, are an example of that, where you have many components that build the application. Each 5G core or RAN has many, many services. So they all of them work together and you need a system that can orchestrate it. And that's where Kubernetes comes into picture. And in the last few years, we have seen that Kubernetes has evolved to be the de facto container orchestration system. And working with other customers, we are seeing that just about everyone is using Kubernetes as a deployment system to which they are, they are building towards. And that is the, if I dare to say, that is the new distributed operating system that we are seeing in practice. Now, not a lot of things are in production specifically on 5G with Kubernetes, but that's where the industry is going. So let's talk about some of the things that folks are using Kubernetes to get done. So as we build this very distributed kind of architecture, things like lifecycle management get really tricky because 
you know, I spent a lot of time in organizations where it was one data center with this monolithic application. And what would happen is once a quarter, say, everybody come in on the weekend and they'd update this big, huge application. And of course, it would go horribly sideways. And then they'd stay there all night eating pizza and trying to fix it. And hopefully by Monday morning, everything was working again. Well, now in the, the architecture that you've just described, there's hundreds or thousands of locations. Each one of those is running their own version of that piece of software. To upgrade that is a totally different thing than what I just described used to happen. And so, you know, Kubernetes is an, an enabler for doing things like that. You know, consistency across all of those edge locations is another thing that Kubernetes can help with. Can you just talk a little bit about the functions that Kubernetes helps them with for managing this deployment at scale? Absolutely. And you touched upon that that particular point where you are just shutting down a virtual machine and you have downtime. With Kubernetes, you can actually take that out. If you have a particular service, uh, and when I say service, it means one of the components in the 5G stack is, let's say, up and running, and you want to upgrade it, you can have multiple instances of it running across different machines. So you can take out physical machines, still keep your applications running, and as well as upgrade them using the same semantics. So that downtime that we were talking about may no longer be necessary, which does mean that the application level needs to work more. But from the infrastructure level, Kubernetes is making sure that you can really update these individual components one at a time. And that's where the power comes in of, of Kubernetes. So that's one. B, if you're running applications across machines, let's say a cluster of 200, 300 servers, you don't need to know where they are. You can discover them, where my PCF is or where my AMF service is, and then really connect to them. And a lot of the standards that are built in 5G, they have taken those approaches that have been very successful in the web scale companies, like use of HTTP, they're implementing it in 5G now. And that's where Kubernetes really shines. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that once upon a time, it was ASIC-based, sort of very specialized things running in the data center. And when virtualization came along, it sort of changed all that and let us provide those same functions on, in a lot of cases, off-the-shelf x86 hardware. Kubernetes and containers are doing much the same thing, and we're able to, as you said, uh, virtualize network functions in this case. That's all great. When VMware did the sort of abstraction the first time around, what that created was a need for an army of VMware experts to tell you how to properly virtualize Exchange without breaking it. Kubernetes is kind of doing the same thing. It's solving huge problems, enabling incredible outcomes. However, caveat, asterisk, there are some big challenges especially for teams that have not done this before. I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that are sort of looking at this going, I see the promise, but this is a completely different paradigm. I have no idea how to do this. Can you talk about what some of those challenges are? And maybe even you've seen some of this in clients that you've worked with who had a sort of rude awakening where they, they thought they were going to do this and they tried it and then they found out all these hard things they didn't even know they didn't know. So there are kind of two challenges that I have seen. One is the initial learning curve, like you said. This is a different thing. Virtual machines, 
was an interesting bit of technology because it was emulating the actual machines. They were just smaller, more nimble. You could create, you can stop them. Containers are a different beast altogether because there are many, many small processes that are running and they're just talking to each other. And Kubernetes have added abstractions to make it easier for you to manage them. But it's a paradigm shift in the way you develop application. So application developers, they have to think differently on how to deploy these applications, how to architect for it. So that's one huge hurdle. But once you overcome that, and I think we can safely say now that it is an industry trend. Everyone has bought into it. Everyone is is doing it. There are recipes available. Uh, Yes, it's hard, but once you get it done, there are lots of benefits. So that's part one. Once you're done with it, now you need to operate Kubernetes just like the way you operated VMware. And uh, this can be more complicated because the number of machines that we are talking about, and this is just laws of not physics, but our compute requirements are growing. So the number of clusters are, are bigger. The number of services are more. Everything can scale out. You need to account for high availability, so on and so forth. So managing Kubernetes, it's also a challenge, specifically if you are doing it on on your own hardware or in the virtual machine. And at the rate at which Kubernetes is changing, you may want to get the fixes for uh, some CVE that came out last week, or you want to upgrade it from one version to another because you are looking for a newer feature that's available in the next version of Kubernetes. All of that requires constant maintenance, and which means you need to, even if you're not expert, you need to hire experts to make sure that you're able to operate Kubernetes at scale. And it becomes even more challenging when you're talking about these distributed edge environments where you don't have one or two or three clusters running. You have hundreds of clusters running with thousands of node under management. And really the challenge is to optimize that operations without killing yourself and going to these locations and fixing them manually. So I'm excited to kind of shift the conversation a little bit and talk about how we can overcome some of those challenges. Platform 9 has focused, at least for as long as I've been aware of the company, which is probably seven, eight years, on taking those kinds of technologies that require a ton of expertise to successfully deploy doing all the hard stuff and just handing it to you ready to go so that you can just reap the rewards. And today, Kubernetes is something that, as I said, a lot of businesses see the value in, but it's too hard for them to do or, or too time consuming. You know, maybe they could go out there and hire the experts and, and build it themselves, but it's going to take them nine, 12, 18 months to get up and running. Or, you know, you could turn your Platform 9 manage Kubernetes instance on and start now, which is a huge competitive advantage. So I'd like to hear as we kind of transition here to talking about Platform 9, how have you thought about taking away those challenges for Platform 9 customers? When you think about the hard things about Kubernetes you just described, how is the Platform 9 team abstracting those away for Platform 9 clients so that they can just use the good parts? When I spoke about the challenges, I spoke about two uh, major uh, users, developers and then DevOps. 
for developers, there are certain things that you need when you want to deploy any microservices application. You want to make sure you're able to monitor, you're able to log, and then a bunch of other add-ons that will make your life easier. So things like, hey, I want to expose one of my applications as a service to the outer world. How do you do that? So those are the things that Platform 9 helps with for developers. So when you bring on Platform 9 Kubernetes, you're able to say, you know what, I can run Prometheus or I can connect the my logging system to Platform 9 or I can use Load Balancer as a service that Platform 9 already provides. So those are some of the examples by which we help developers quickly get to running their applications or DevOps to deploy their applications and not worry about collecting five different components from different places and working with it. So uh, before you move on to the next piece, the analogy there is kind of like, uh, let's take your logging example. At the point where you've identified, hey, we need to be doing logging for all of this, you could go out then and you know research and select an option and then put a team on figuring out how to deploy this new logging technology and do the rollout. Uh, the way it works when you're using Platform 9, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I think the analogy is overdone, but it's kind of like an app store where you go in there and you say, I'd like this kind of logging, please. And then you just have it. Yep. And not only that, but the, at times there are systems in-house and enterprises, you might have Splunk or you might be using Datadog. And all you need to do is connect with Platform 9 and say, this is the system that I want to use. And it's out there. Your analogy of app store is actually pretty good. We do have a component called as App Catalog, which is very similar to the App Store. So that's one part. The second part is for operations folks, specifically on the bare metal side or virtual machines on on on-premises. If you're deploying Kubernetes, managing it, upgrading it, um, making sure somebody is taking care of the CVEs, it's still a new technology. There are security issues that come out. You want to act quickly because your business depends upon it. As well as making sure it's up and running with high reliability are the things that Platform 9 can help with. You don't have to because Platform 9 does that for you. So it's a full-featured service operated as SaaS where Platform 9's systems and people are, are looking through each and every cluster that our customers are deploying, whether it's on their premises or their public clouds, and we are watching over it, uh, we are upgrading it with all the nice features and so on and so forth. Now, th- this conversation has revolved especially around 5G and providing the underpinnings for delivering 5G. Talk a little bit about how Platform 9 Managed Kubernetes specifically helps operators who are deploying 5G. We spoke about how with 5G, th- there, are, there are many problems. So one of the problems is distribution. You will have clusters close to your house. You will have machines in some buildings, in data centers, in colos, in public clouds, and there are thousands and thousands of them. You will need to manage it from one central location. That's one. B, 5G itself 5G applications specifically themselves need interesting um, features from Kubernetes that are not always available from Kubernetes. For example, you need multiple networks for each container that you're running. Without that, no network software would work. 
And Platform 9 has integrated with other systems like uh, Multus, which gives you ability to create multiple networks for your containers. Then you have a lot of telco operators use IPv6. IoT with the number of devices, uh, if, if you look at the projection of the number of devices, you will need to use IPv6. You, you won't be able to keep up. IPv4 won't be able to keep up with the demand. So you need an IPv6 network. You need a system that works in IPv6 network. For doing packet processing, you want to make sure, specifically on a multi-core machine, the containers that you're running, they don't move between uh, different cores or different sockets. So you need to make sure that you are able to pin them down and get the most out of the CPU. You need to also make sure that the cards that you have who have special functionality like SRIOV, you're able to use them with Kubernetes. And that's not always easy. So Platform 9 has spent a lot of time and uh, created systems so to make all of those easier. So once you deploy Platform 9 Kubernetes with, with the specific extensions that we have done, uh, you will be able to run your 5G workloads very, very easily. And sitting in central place, you are able to manage them across different geographies. I know you've been working very closely with some of your customers in this space. Can you talk at all about interesting projects they've been working on or, or outcomes that using Platform 9 managed Kubernetes has delivered for them? Recently, we came out with our partnership announcement with Mavenir. They are one of the major vendors in, in this space. They have systems for 5G core, RAN, IMS, and a bunch of other things. And we have also been working with other customers as well as other partners who are in similar space. And, and when you look at their challenges, they're all the same. You have large number of nodes or servers spread across a large geographic areas with all the features that I spoke about where they want to run network-specific functionality, which require a specific extensions or require specific extensions to Kubernetes that Platform 9 provides. And that's what they really value from Platform 9. Ability to decentrally manage it and those specific things that Platform 9 has done to make sure 5G applications are able to run on that stack. Very cool. Rupak, this has been an enlightening conversation for me. I've had a lot of fun. Before we go, just given the number of folks you talk to about this stuff and your experience in the industry, I'd love to hear about uh, your thoughts on where are we going from here? What is exciting you about what's next or, or what interesting challenges do you see out there that might need to be solved? Um, let's just look forward a little bit before we go. So we have some present challenges uh, industry as a whole, 5G is still evolving. Uh, we are what I call as the very first phase of the deployment where some 5G applications are being deployed, but it's going to evolve in the next four or five years. So very first would be, yes, deploying with this new technology. And you have been in this, in, in this industry where we went from just custom ASICs to virtualized server. We are going through a similar transformation right now. So that's one. Then the second one that I anticipate we will hit in a few years is how do you move compute closer to these remote sites and how do you manage it? I think that would be a very interesting problem to solve for the industry as a whole. And there are proposals out there. There are some systems out there. But 
I think that's going to evolve heavily in, I would say, in the next four to five years. Fun times. Well, folks, if you've been listening to this conversation and enjoyed it and want to learn more about this space, Actual Tech Media and Platform 9 have partnered to produce a guerrilla guide called the Guerrilla Guide to Kubernetes Operations, which digs deeper into a number of the things that we've talked about today. And if you want to learn more in that guide, you can download that over at platform9.com. You can also get a demo of, of the stuff that Rupak and I have talked about and see how Platform 9 works. I've seen it myself and it's cool stuff and I recommend you check that out. So Rupak, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. If people want to connect with you or learn more about you, how should they do that? LinkedIn or website or anything like that? LinkedIn, website, Twitter, obviously platform9.com. Check us out. We do have a free offering uh, that you can play with. Okay, very cool. Thanks for being on the show, Rupak. Thanks for having me. For more information or to connect with our guest, Rupak, from Platform 9, head to platform9.com, where you can also learn more about Platform 9's 5G solutions, register for a free trial, and download more helpful resources. If you want to learn more about Kubernetes, download the Guerrilla Guide to Kubernetes Operations at platform9.com. The link will be in the show notes. If you liked what you heard here today, be sure to hit subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. Until next time, thanks for going Inside the Guide.